A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. Goodly Monday morning at long last. Yeah, it is. A lot of people have been digging the the old Sunday evening podcasts, getting some good feedback on that. So, yeah, yeah, we're well, back to normal though. We're back to normal. Who knows? Maybe we'll switch it up more in future. But I like routine. I find it strange when uh, I don't do this on a Monday morning. You know, it's it's become part of my life. Wow. <laughs> a profound, profound way to start the podcast. You know, Go on. I know. But no, it's just it's talking about um, profundity and, and this podcast. I did a tweet last night saying, hey, guys, we've got the podcast tomorrow. We're back on Monday morning. Uh, it's the interlal. So any sort of topics you might have that you think we should chat about or anything like that, you know, questions, send them in. And um, a good chunk of the replies I got were, Probably don't bother. Nothing's happened, so oh. <laughs> don't bother. Oh, well, thanks very much for that. <laughs> and 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 yet here we are. Here we are. So that's it, commitment, if nothing else. It is indeed. It is indeed. Actually, I must see if I can find this here. There was a guy yesterday. I did a post uh, about double barrel names. Uh, oh, yeah. at, uh, at Arsenal, and my intention was to make it ludicrous because there's so little going on. I was going to like do a couple like Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Emile Smith-Rowe, and then I realised we actually had quite a few. So there's uh, Jordi Osei-Tutu in there as well, uh, Tyrese John-Jules, and so it became, uh, there was a, a little less scope for me to be ridiculous because I was just going to make up some some stupid names, which I did towards the end with the, the French boy, Francois Voyage Voyage. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and the Irish, the Irish guy, uh, I think it was Seamus Murphy McGee. But uh, I got a comment on Facebook. Uh, where is it here? Uh, from a guy called James on Facebook, not you, uh, definitely. He said, "Would it kill you to do some proper journalism slash reporting?" There you go. Nice to get well, feedback, isn't it? It is good. I mean, uh, do you know what's the sort of. Uh saddest aspect of this is that I think I've tried to make this point about double-barreled names in seriousness before on this podcast. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I was like, yeah, there's a lot more double-barreled names these days. It's, uh, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but you know, it was around the time Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was coming through. I was like, it's the future, guys. The double-barreled midfielder. Well, um, well, we've got plenty. We've had plenty as well. I'd forgotten all about Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's been some, some others who've gone as well, so... It's the modern world, Andrew, isn't it? You it know, is. It is. Are people just being side. greedy about having names, or are parents indecisive, or is it? Is it? It comes from the sharing? clubs. It comes from the clubs because they want to make more money on shirt printing. Oh, smart it's, thinking. So yeah. they think if we give our child, parents think if we give our child a double-barreled surname, he'll be more valuable to any football club. Mm. Football clubs are going around hoovering up all the double-barreled six-year-olds and hoping to turn them into footballers on the basis that it will be more profitable exercise when they when they if they make it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, well, so uh, we criticised, you know, Gazidis and his regime, but the influx of double barrel players will do wonders for our bank balance. I'm Ivan, sure. Ivan Gazidis, Gazidis. That's, mm, yes. that's his new name so at AC Milan. So good, they named him once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that, that, I mean, look, you've got to make the best of what you got. I think that's. That's, uh, I mean, I had that on the agenda for today, double-barreled surnames. I think that's, you know, serious football chat as far as I'm concerned. Well, right OK, well, we've done that. So what else? What about the Nations League? Come on, have you embraced the Nations League? I, I'm an Englishman, so I think it's terrific competition. Terrific. I think it's probably more important than the World Cup, I would say, based on the last few months. I was staggered to find out there were finals next summer. Mm, it's uh, out of a wait, isn't it? It surely is. But what do you win? What do you win? Do you get, like, vouchers for uh, TK Maxx or something? I don't know what you win. Is there a Nations League trophy? I can hear you frantically Googling this. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this was some feedback we got the other week as well, wasn't it? About you frantically Googling things as we, we talk on the podcast. But Well, no, don't prepare before, do I? That would be crazy. But I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 the reason is I want to check what I thought, which is that I thought uh, that you, you qualified for the Euros if you won automatically. Um, but maybe right. that's incorrect. I don't know. I did I look at the, the link this morning, like how does it work and how does it affect European Championship qualification? And I sat there and in fairness, it was about 10 past six this morning when I was sitting writing the blog and I was trying to read it and it was just, do you ever read something and it just doesn't make any sense to you at all? Yeah. 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 It was like that. Uh, uh, if a group winner has already qualified via the European qualifiers, their spot will go to the next best race. Yeah, I, I read all this, but like, it just seems unnecessarily complicated. It does seem unnecessarily complicated. I mean, what I understand is that it's very much here to stay, that a lot of the, that UEFA are fully behind this idea, you know, it's their baby. And a lot of the international uh, FAs apparently feel quite positively about it as well. I mean, presumably the English FA will after... Their relative success. In Ireland, their group. Ireland won't. Ireland got relegated to where I don't know. Are we to relegated outside of Europe? Yeah. Yes, you are. Yeah, you're now uh, a part of uh, Antarctica, Concacaf or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, listen, it's uh, it's a complicated one, but I do think that it has sort of lent the veneer of competitiveness to. F- to these international games. And I think they slightly benefit from it. I mean, I'm someone who can't get excited about international friendlies at all. I mean, they are a waste of time to me, you know, because I'd rather be watching club football and I'd rather be watching competitive football. And these are at least, you know, the kind of illusion of competitive. Well, there is something at stake. There is something at stake in terms of a new competition and in terms of it does affect, I think, your sort of of seeding and your qualifying. So... I, I quite like it. I quite like it. And it's brought out some very good games, actually. And the game with Croatia, between England and Croatia, was a, a decent one. No uh, no Arsenal involvement, though, sadly, of course, with right. Danny Welbeck being injured. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is, and he's about our only English player, player. isn't he? Yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, English I international. Uh, until, you know, Smith Rowe and... And Kedia and all these guys, you Reece know, Reese Nelson, Nelson might be make the step the up. Yeah. Do you think uh, we had a question? I think a couple of weeks ago that I remember seeing, where someone said, "Do you think Rob Holding? Are you surprised he's not been in contention for the England squad?" Not, not particularly, because I think what we've seen with Rob Holding is a player who has definitely made some improvement this season. 
but also in a team which is defensively a little bit suspect as well. And it is only 12 games in and what he's been a fixture for maybe the last seven or eight. Mm. So maybe, I mean, who are England's central defensive options? I know there's John Stones. John Stones played yesterday with Joe Gomez, who uh, actually oh yeah, he's, was really good, yeah. I thought. Harry Maguire is there as well, isn't he, with his, with his gigantic head? Yeah, he's I there. Think- uh, I think Dunk was in the squad for this one. Lou, um, oh, the he's from Brighton, is he? Brighton, yeah, yeah. Lewis Dunk. Uh, I think he was in the squad, but um, I mean, I think Rob Holding. I agree with you. You know, I think he's not really. He's done okay for us, but mm. it's not like we're watertight. Um, and also, I, I sort of, you know, I am an England fan, I guess, and I am an Arsenal fan, and I want to see. Yeah. I'd, I'd prefer to watch Arsenal players in the English team, but then when they're so young in the kind of crucible of their career, sometimes I think it's not the worst thing for them to be out of the, the limelight. And um, I always am quite relieved that Alex Awobi didn't declare for England. You know, I sort of think that there's such intense pressure on the international team that yeah. it, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for them to be able to develop away from that spotlight. Sometimes, though, it's it's difficult for a player to, to make the grade at international level, despite being a really good club player, there might be a generation of uh, other players in that position who are just considered ahead of you. So you think about, for example, Steve Bold, who is a really excellent player, but he only, did he get two, two caps or something for yeah, for England? Like um, I know he got a couple for England B. And, you know, even someone like, uh, I mean, how many... England caps did Lee Dixon get? I think uh, it was a, a surprisingly small amount when you consider, let's see here, 22 England appearances for, you know, one of the most consistent defenders and one of the best back fours in uh, English football at that time. But he played, uh, who else was around at that time? Paul Parker, maybe? Who else? Uh, well, towards the end, Ga- uh, Gary Neville. I suppose. Yeah. It's overlapping. Um, are we talking about right backs in the 90s for England? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think who was in that back for. Uh, it, I mean, Paul Parker was. Gary picked, Stevens? Wasn't he, quite a few times. Gary I don't Stevens? Even remember Gary Stevens. This, the manager would have been sort of Graham Taylor, wouldn't it, in this period? Yeah. Um, sort of mid 90s when. Dixon was it? Speak Glenn Hoddle. I, I, mean, I think uh, it was Paul Parker and Gary Stevens who played for Everton were right. were the ones, and then maybe Gary Neville as well. Uh, yeah, so I mean, Gary Neville was in by Euro '96, so that would yeah. have been like the latter part, the sort of Arsene Wenger period of, mm. of Dixon's career. And, and the same with Nigel Winterburn to an extent, where you know, again, a really dependable uh, player at club level, but because of Stuart Pearce. Graham Lasso, Tony Dorigo. Yeah. You know, he didn't get a... Did he get any England caps, Nigel Winterburn? I'm not sure that he did. Uh, have a look. Uh, I will I, frantically I, Google here. Frantically Google. Um, two. By the Two, yeah. It's not, it's not many, is it? Martin Keown, I think, probably got the most out of that set, with the exception of Tony Adams yeah. and David Seaman. But even he was never really a first choice pick for England. He was someone who yeah. would either be brought in to do a specialist <clears throat> specialist man marking job sometimes in a back three or, you know, as a replacement for someone who was injured. So, I mean, there was definitely a, a debate, wasn't there, at the time of, you know, Arsenal have got this amazing defensive unit, they're all English, why not just play them? Yeah. But 
you know, international football rarely does that surprisingly. No. I mean, when they do, it does tend to work. Look at, you know, the, the Spanish teams that were made up primarily of Barcelona players, etc. Um, but yeah, it didn't happen, didn't happen in the 90s for with England. No. So there By the way, go. I, go I have actually think discovered what the impact of the Nations League is on Euro 2020 qualifying. Okay. In short, what it means, apart from the fact that the the nations who've in the semi-finals get a load of money, they get about three million quid each, I think, for competing in those semi-finals next summer. And they also, as a consequence of playing the semi-finals, their fixture list for the qualifiers is compressed because they'll be spending some of the time, other nations will be doing the qualifying. They will be competing in the Nations League in the semi-finals so rather than going into groups of six teams they will go into groups of five teams so theoretically they face a shorter path to the uh, European Championships and should they fail to qualify via those means they have guaranteed themselves a place in the playoffs so they could do absolutely sod all in the qualifiers but they'll still be in the playoffs to qualify for, for the European Championships the following summer Right. I heard every word you said, but it still made no sense to me whatsoever. That's absolutely reason. Oh, and Arsenal, uh, Ireland have been relegated to Con- CONCACAF. Yeah, I checked that. We have. Well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to some warm weather games. Some lovely away days. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, look, that's what's been going on at international level. We haven't had any reports of injuries for our players, which is good. Uh, no. That's always the thing that we look out for. You know what, though? I, I feel slightly. Oh God, I'm going to jinx the shit out of us here. I right can't now. believe you're going to do this. I am. But okay, I'm going to do it. That let's say two years ago or three years ago, every time there was an international break, injuries felt inevitable, didn't they? At least oh, somebody yeah. would get would get injured or pick up a knock or a strain or something. And I don't feel the same sense of trepidation anymore when our players go away on international duty. Whether that's because there are fewer of them now, which I think seems to be the case, or some of the ones that go away aren't as um, crucial uh, to our, our our team as they have been in the past. Like, mm. with all due respect to Mohamed Elneny, if he got an injury, does it make that much difference to us from a Premier League point of view, considering he's, he hasn't played a minute of Premier League football? You know, it, it has an impact on our squad depth, but not necessarily the the first team. So I, I, I wonder, is it a little bit of that, but more because our players are perhaps a little more resilient, that their fitness and, and the, the work that's been done on the training ground has made them, dare I say it, a little bit more robust. Maybe. I mean, one thing that I have been thinking over the past week, and it's not... Uh, I don't think it's an original observation, but we've been talking about the England squad and the lack of players in it. Mm. It does seem that we had a particularly injury-prone clutch of English players, doesn't it? I mean, you know, when you think back, sort of Kieran Gibbs, Jack Wilshire, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Danny Welbeck, Carl Jenkinson, the, they, these were all players who've been cursed, really, with huge injuries. Um mm. And they've sort of gone now. I think we have sort of lost a lot of the more injury-prone players from within the squad. And then some of the ones that we still have, I mean, Aaron Ramsey's one I'd point out, maybe their roles have diminished within the first-team squad. So with yeah. less anxiety, with less anxiety around their fitness. Um, 
but yeah, it does seem like there's a little bit less stress. I, I think we probably should give some credit to Darren Burgess and his team as well. Uh, but I do think it's partly about personnel. I just think, yeah. you know, when you're carrying someone like a Jack Wilshire in your squad, there is always that worry of, you know, is he going to is he going to crumple um, at mm. any point? But we've, we've shed a lot of that now. Um, but it is it is nice. I mean, I'm trying to think of other players who actually played in the international break and seem to have come through unscathed. I know Socrates played for Greece. I know Shaka played in a big win for Switzerland. Switzerland, yeah. 5-2 yeah. against Belgium. Mm. They're missing uh, Thierry Henry's management skills there. They really are. They really are. I, I There was one of those articles, you know how... I think it was the Mirror will do an article saying like find out what uh, Arsenal fans have been playing saying about Granite Xhaka's performance against Belgium and I was like well I haven't seen the game so I will actually click on that and see what it is they've been saying and it turned out all they've been saying was stuff like oh he's been booked again what a surprise <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's all I could really gleam well that, in fairness it serves you right I know. I've been. I, I was baited and I clicked. Yes. So Yeah. I mean, it, it's not like you were going to get some genius piece of insight. I thought it was going to be, you know, like some tactical analysis of his perform commanding mm. central midfield performance in two hundred and eighty like, characters or less, or yes. less. You know, it was just like he's been butting and wanker stuff like that. So. Uh, <laughs> Um, look, he, he does get booked quite a lot. He's a, one game away from suspension in the Premier League because he's got four yellow cards this season. But he says, yeah. actually, this week he, he said that uh, this is the best season of his life so far. And he's waxed lyrical about Unai Emery and the, the work that he's been doing on the training ground. Um, where's the bit here where he talks about the, the video analysis Video analysis he called, he of the opposition. A freak. a freak. Yes. He's a freak who pushes us back and forth 10 times until everyone understands what they're doing. Just leaving a gap there so you can go in with a joke there about Mustafi <laughs> needing to do it 20 times or something. You know, yeah, as, sure, as sure. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, he says, uh, you know, the, the, the tactics change for every game depending on the opposition. And uh, Xhaka says, the first video analysis follows right after the game. And then it goes on every day, 30 minutes of video on the game day after breakfast. And then again, before we go to the game. So they're all sitting there on their iPads watching videos of the opposition, the way the opposition move, how to break down the opposition, how to find their weak spots, etc., etc. Do you wonder... he's just playing Candy Crush in the corner, hoping no one notices. <laughs> but do you wonder, like, what if we didn't have this? What would our season be like? Like, the last couple of games, last couple of weeks have been a bit... Been a bit rubbish. You know, we haven't... We've mm. won one from five, and the games have been a bit... Mm, which is, you know inevitable I think but where would we be without this marginal gain that the, the, the video analysis on the iPads gives us maybe that's the difference maybe we'd have lost one or two of those games without this this movie maker extraordinaire yeah. as manager of, of Arsenal he's, he's like the he, Alfred Hitchcock he, of football management but less do, stabby do you think his Unai Emery's videos are like YouTube compilations, you know, like set to terrible European music, <laughs> dance music. Does so. your phone do that? My phone does this. So if you go yesterday, for example, I went to beach with the dogs. Yeah. I uh, went to the beach and uh, my phone this morning says, your new movie is ready. And I've taken some pictures of the dogs and stuff and they're running around. And it's made a movie of my 
pictures with some really terrible guitar music, like 23 second. Right, video. and you haven't asked for it. It's just I haven't done asked it for it. It's just done it for because me. The robots are taking over. Exactly. Your new movie? What movie? I didn't make a movie. You goddamn phone fucker! But it's like <laughs> it's like when you go on Facebook and they're like, "You have been friends with this man you've never met for ten years. We've made a compilation video about your friendship. Do you get those? And it's like a, a montage of." you know, times you've liked each other's posts set to soppy music. I, I have seen those. I don't tend to go on Facebook very much apart from on the, the Arse Blog page right. uh, to read what, what mean things people are saying about the stuff I write, of course. Um, but, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Imagine if that's what Emery's videos are like. Just random clips of who are we playing <laughs> next? Bournemouth. Just random clips of whoever the fuck play- Who plays for Bournemouth these days? I can't even remember. Not Jack Wilshere, anyway. Callum uh, Wilson. Callum Wilson. He's in the England squad. Exactly. Random clips of him and that little guy. What's his name? Fraser. You yeah. know the little short guy. Who, he's Fraser, kind yeah, of yeah. like uh, he's kind of like uh, the English Shakiri in that he looks like a barrel <laughs> with legs. That is a perfect comparison. He looks quite a lot like Shakiri, actually. Yeah. That's uh, very astute. Yes, Ryan, uh, Ryan Fraser, uh, Scotland. Uh, winger. Oh, right. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I, I presume his videos are a bit more... He's probably got some, some you know, captions in Comic Sans and stuff. Do you think he's done things like he's sort of flipped all the footage because of rights reasons and stuff like that? Do yeah, exactly. I mean? like it's he, it's very slightly uh, compressed. He cuts the top yeah. off it yeah. just in case his YouTube, <laughs> his YouTube uh, channel gets uh, nixed by the Premier League and their robot uh, algorithms, yeah. I, I mean, it's quite interesting, I guess, to sort of uh, hear a bit of specificity on how it actually works and when they're watching these videos. Um, and it surprises me that it's that close to the game. I mean, mm. you'd think players would be sort of focused on other types of preparation by that point. But I guess the game's come so thick and fast. If you're going to do it, you've got to squeeze it in somewhere, especially with the, the Europa League. You know, if you get back on whatever it is, Friday morning, and you've got a game on the Sunday... Mm. You've got to watch. You've got to fit that footage in somewhere. But I, I, as for your question as to like how bad would we be without it, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because we don't actually know how much it helps. Like we like the idea of it, yeah. But it's difficult to know what kind of tangible impact it might have. I mean, you know, Granite Shaka. There presumably there were videos that said things like, "Don't dummy a ball needlessly in the middle of midfield." But or maybe there wasn't. Maybe that's the well, problem. That's, I know what he's going to be watching when he gets back. Just loads of videos of incidents like that. Don't yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of... It, it, he compared Emery... Shaka compared Emery to, I think it's Lucien Favre, is it? Yeah. Who was his coach at Borussia Mönchengladbach, who is also like a known sort of a fanatic with an eye for detail. And I think as Arsenal fans, we really welcome that because it feels like a counterpoint to what we've had... In the past, it's a really radically different approach. But what what would be fascinating would be to hear players talking specifically about how that's helped them. Really, I'd I'd love to know more. But inevitably, there's going to be a sort of a slight wall of si- silence on that, isn't there? You know, you're not going to reveal your methodology so early on. Yeah, I mean, can't be that complicated, though, can it? No. I mean, it's an editing job, isn't it? Mm. Some, you know, that's the main thing I keep thinking is that someone... Because presumably these videos, there's like team videos, I would think, but there must also be like positionally tailored ones. You know, if you're a fullback, there must be videos that are like, here, here's Ryan Fraser 
This um, is where he likes to... This is the way he likes to turn. Show yes. him onto his... Show him inside! Etc. And that. Etc. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine there are sort of, like, big... You know, I imagine the words, show him inside, come up, like, you know, in yeah. big letters at some point in the video to sort of reinforce the message. Yeah, for um, people who don't like to, you know, look at the pictures, they only like to, you know, read read the captions. I think it would be great, wouldn't it, if... I mean, not great, but it would be fascinating if some of that footage was leaked, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be like... If you could tell me you could see something from behind the scenes at Arsenal, I'd love to watch. I'd love to watch what they're watching. Not because I, it would make me a better footballer, but just because I'm nosy. Yeah. Yeah, I do wonder. I mean, is it is it mandatory watching? Do they sit down? Do they have like a... Do they have a, do they have a cinema room at London Colney? They definitely do, yeah. They have... Uh, they have suites with projectors in right um and big screens but i don't know whether as i say whether they're doing this collectively or individually mm. i imagine both i imagine both yeah well look uh i guess it, it will speak to some players for other players they might get you know a little bit cheesed off at watching videos what do you make of shaka's analysis that he's having the best season of his life do you think he's having his best season at arsenal either Weirdly, I would say, yeah. Mm. I would say he probably is, even though he just made that big mistake against Wolves. Um, I think generally he's been pretty good this season. He's done a job for us at left-back, which shows uh, not so much a versatility, but a willingness to to do a job he's been asked to do, which has taken him out of his comfort zone. it's affected the team, but, you know, we, we didn't have any anyone else to play there, so he was happy to do it. I thought he was really good against Liverpool alongside Torreira. Not so great against Wolves, but I think the, the, the mistake overshadowed everything else, really, you know? That's what tends to happen. I think we've spoken about this before, that sometimes a player can do 99 things well and do one thing wrong, and everyone remembers the one thing. And I think he's kind of that kind of a player. You know, for a lot of people, they're just kind of waiting for him to make a mistake. And unfortunately, he tends to oblige a bit too often. But I do think, generally speaking, he is he is playing his best football, um, which may have something to do with the fact that, as a team, there's a lot less baggage around us. You know, we're, Wenger's last season was just... It was just crazy, really. It was hard to make any real assessment of any individual because of how weird we were collectively. You know, we were really good at home and just shit away. So there was something really wrong fundamentally with the team for, uh, you know, his, his second season at Arsenal. His first season, I think every player gets a bit of a pass, don't they? You know, it takes him a, a season to settle in. He, he had some good moments, some bad moments. So from from an Arsenal point of view, I think so far it is his best season, but I think he needs it could be better as well. Well, that's promising though, isn't it? Because isn't he yeah. someone who we've observed over the past couple of years tends to start relatively slowly and finish quite strongly. Um, and given that he started the season decently enough, uh, you can project forward and think maybe by the end of the season he will be playing certainly mm. his, his best football. Um, and the other thing to say is that over the past couple of years, you're right, there were a lot of mitigating factors that kind of impinge on any analysis of any player. But I think he particularly was hung out to dry from a tactical perspective uh, in this Arsenal team. You know, I think he was given an almost impossible job and certainly one mm. who wasn't 
particularly suited to. So now that he's got a bit more support, a bit more structure around him, I don't think it's coincidence that we're seeing more from him. It, it has been interesting over the past couple of weeks watching the uh, the pendulum swing as regarding Shaka. You know, after the Liverpool game, everyone was full of praise for him, mm. you know, raving about his performance. Then after Wolves, he was criticised again. Um, it, I mean, the truth, of course, lies somewhere in the middle. And he is someone who I think you do have to kind of accept the rough with the smooth yeah more, but I think you know he's being picked week in week out and I, I can't really argue with it you know I don't I, I like Genduzi, but I'm not in a place where I think he must come in at Shaka's expense I think we need to play two deepish holding midfielders Torreira is going to be one and I mm. think I think Shaka is the the next best guy to be to be the other yeah we're not necessarily replete with options in midfield are we you know um, no yeah. No, I mean, Gendouzi would be the one, wouldn't he? If you were going to say it's it's two from three, I think those are those are the three. What, what's your opinion on Gendouzi? Like, I think he's looked really promising, but I'm also quite cautious about a young player coming through um, and talk of him being the future of the Arsenal midfield and, and everything else. I mean, I like the idea of it. If he's that good, I like the idea of it. But I do wonder how people are being that definitive this early in, in his career. I mean, is you know what we've seen from him generally has been really positive. But he still yeah, is I, just 19, isn't he? I mean, there's a need to not overdo the, overdo the hype a bit. What I would say is remember Danielson. That's what I would say. I mean, when Danielson broke into the Arsenal first team and when he first arrived, people were falling over themselves over this guy. Mm. You know, he was, and he was decent. It wasn't like they were doing it without justification. He was playing pretty well and seemed to be pretty competent in all aspects of the game. People were saying, oh, we've got another Fabregas. Imagine playing these guys together. What are mm. they going to be like? And as it was, his development sort of plateaued and he, he never really kicked on. Um, he, he did eventually become a first-team player at Arsenal, but in a period where our midfield was really poor and uh, we were exposed, essentially. Now, I'm not saying Gendouzi is going to go the same way, and there are definitely, I think, more eye-catching attributes within his game than Danielson ever mm. had. He was kind of a sort of solid across-the-board player, but it was difficult to say what exactly he did well. I think Gendouzi's... Run really range... slowly. I think he did that yeah, quite yeah. well. Yeah, he could do that quite well. I think Gendouzi's energy, I think his range of passing are already superior to anything we saw from Danielson. But I, I, I share your caution, really, I suppose. I think we've been burnt many times as Arsenal fans by, you know, last season it was Ainsley Maitland-Niles, you know, people saying this guy is the solution. He's going to be, you know, the, the, the new Vieira or whatever it is, you know, the next big thing in central mm. midfield. Now, Gaduzi's come along, people aren't really talking about Maitland-Niles anymore. Um, we, we have a tendency as fans, don't we, to kind of, to jump on board the train of yeah. was hot right then. And I think in Genduzi's case, the manager's enormous faith in him, which in the first few weeks of the season, we all found, I think, quite surprising, has made us think, well, if he's picking him, he must be seeing something remarkable there. And I think that's what what informs it. You know, this isn't a guy who sort of had to bide his time in the, in the under-19s or under-23s. He's being selected for the first team, despite not, seemingly having much of a pedigree coming into the club. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not... Uh, I, I wouldn't put my house on Gendouzi being, uh, you know, international great. I just think it's 
it's impossible to say, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit of uh, time, I think, is but, needed. But let me ask you this. Like, do you think he's, like, say a Maitland-Niles or say an Elneny, like, do you think he is justifiably above those guys in the packing order? Um, Maitland-Niles is a difficult one because he was injured. Mm. I thought it was interesting that when he played this season in the Europa League, he was played as part of the front three, um, which is where he spent a lot of his time uh, at youth level. He was a a winger. Um, Mm -hmm. Elneny... uh, Emery clearly sees more in Genduzzi than Elneny. There's no question about that. Um, otherwise, he he would play a more experienced player. You know, when you think about that first game of the season, and he he picks him against Manchester City, he picks him against Chelsea. That's a real show of faith. I, I wonder, in some ways, is it because he is 19 and he doesn't really have any fear, and there weren't any expectations on him. No real, it's not. You can't say it's a pressure-free environment to go in and play like that, but. You know, you're you're given the leeway of being a new guy coming up from League Two, and uh, and nobody's really expecting a great deal from you. Uh, he plays without uh, without fear, which is nice to see. Uh, there are things that he can improve on, and he will improve on as he goes on. Uh, and I think he's probably now is he the the third choice central midfield player behind Xhaka and Genduzi. The others are making their way behind him, Ramsey. Um, Maitland-Niles maybe if he's going to play there on then he is just a squad player right at this moment in time so you know I'm hopeful about Genduzi. I'm just I just don't quite uh, get the the definitive way some people talk about him and and what he's going to be at Arsenal because like you say we have seen players come in do well as a young player because there is that freedom you know, and as soon as there is a bit more expectation and a bit more pressure and a need to provide consistency, it becomes more difficult. So, um, yeah. Did you see uh, there was kind of a video doing the rounds on Twitter where someone had taken, I think it's an existing viral video about Gordon Ramsay, uh, where he's <laughs> being really horrible to adult chefs, you know, yeah. on Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. And then he's got a kids show and he yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of disturbingly lovely to these children and they overlaid it with Arsenal fans react to certain players. players. Yeah, it was very yeah, good. I, yeah, I retweeted that. It was good. And was uh, good, it's, right. if you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch because it, it just it's a, a nice illustration of the way in which we judge players differently. I mean, for example, if Genduzi had made that mistake against Wolves, I suspect he would have had a very, very different reception to Granite Xhaka. And of course, there are reasons why... Um, He's, you know, he's not a regular offender yet in that case. But it is interesting mm. how we, how as a fan base, we seem to almost collectively kind of make a judgment about a player, and it does inform how we perceive them. It's interesting how that happens, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. But you know, it, it is uh, one of those things, isn't it? When a new player comes in, they they have this honeymoon period, in a way, and then over time you realise, okay, the the hopes and expectations that I placed on this player when we signed him. Like, I I think every player that we sign is going to be great. I've had that since I was a kid. Every time Arsenal... Well, there must be a reason Arsenal are signing this player. He must be really good. Must be. And then it doesn't always work out that way. 
quite yeah. often it doesn't work out that way. You know, the honeymoon period is over. The player doesn't meet the expectations or he can't live up to the standards either that we ascribe to him or that we require in, in real life. We actually require this player to be better. And off he goes and a new one comes in and you do the same thing. This guy's going to be fucking great. Look at him. He's a monster. He's the physical specimen we need. You know, and then all of a sudden you realize, well, he's not that good at football. That's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is basically the pattern and has been the pattern all too often uh, recently. Look, and I don't wish to make it sound like we're not impressed by Gendouzi. No, no, not at all. And he's definitely exceeded, I think, anybody's expectations of him coming into the club. But I do also think a bit of caution uh, is worthwhile too because... I have seen other players look fantastic in those first few months and been wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, been very, very wrong. Uh, oh, oh, one thing I thought we should um, touch on just before the end of part one is mm. I don't know if you've, uh, how much attention you've been paying, but the Arsenal women's team are really good. I obviously have been reading the stuff that Tim is uh, Tim Stillman yeah. is doing on, on Arsblog News. And yes, they are. They're top of the league, aren't they? Eight consecutive victories, I believe. They won 4-0 yesterday against Everton. And they're just scoring goals for fun. If you ever sort of tire of uh, our somewhat pedestrian attacking that we've seen in the past couple of games, it's worth checking them out because they're a brilliant team going forward. They've got an excellent striker called Viviane Miedemar who has scored about 100 goals already this season. (laughs) I think she's generally into double figures. It's quite impressive. And they are... um, I mean, the, the the way the Women's Super League is structured, I think the top three, who are sort of Chelsea, Man City and Arsenal, are sort of uh, are breaking away from the rest of the pack already. But Arsenal very much in there and having a real a real resurgence. So it's definitely... And they're playing some fantastic football as well in sort of... Some of the goals. Tim has called. Yeah, I know. Well, Tim <laughs> has spoken about how the managers wanted to kind of play in the Arsenal tradition, which I suppose is, you know, the style mm. of football that Arsene Wenger implemented and with that Arsenal style um, and they they really are so yeah well, if you if you get a moment do go back there are highlights if you're in Britain available on the BBC website so go back and check those out do they have uh, clips on the Arsenal I presume they ha- must have some clips on the Arsenal website as well no they probably do I don't know but right. uh, I know the BBC have the rights over here and if you are um local enough that you want to go and see some of the games. Tim has written a, a really good post on Arsblog News, uh, which I'll add the link to in the description of the podcast on the website. Um, you can find out you know, where they play, how to get tickets, etc., etc. Um, I, I think it's great. It's fantastic that the women's team are doing so well and also fantastic that there's, there's more coverage of it. Um, you mm. know, we, uh, we do as much as we can on, on Arsblog News. Tim does fantastic stuff on that as well. So it's great. And it has actually, I've seen people feedback on the posts and uh, on Twitter to Tim to say, look, I, I really didn't know anything about the women's team. I'm now following or I'm bringing my kids to watch the women's team. So it's driving um, interest and uh, more fans towards uh, the, the women's uh, team and women's football, which is which is absolutely great. So Yeah, that's really cool. And the great thing is, if you don't like women's football, you don't have to do anything at all. You can just ignore it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's no need for 
uh, inflammatory uh, comments on Facebook or anywhere. Yeah, exactly. All right, we're going to take a break. It's the end of part one. We'll come back with part two, which is, uh, which is what? The bit where we do the questions. That's it. I was trying to figure out what it was. Yeah, this is the bit where they tell us what to say. So thank goodness, you know, it's, we can we can go into autopilot now. It's all it's all down to the listeners. It's exactly. The responsibility is firmly on you guys. All the research and and preparation we did for this first bit that took us so long. Uh, it's over. It's over. Thank goodness, uh, and we can hand it over to you guys right after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arseblog, and also on the Arseblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arseblog. Right, I'm going to start because this one comes from Hakon Larson, who's at Hakon Larson 92. And he says, what is your honest opinion on XG? Have the stat people taken it too far? It seems like it's so much focus before and after games, and people can't be happy with a performance because of bad XG. What is going on? Yeah, I saw this question as well. And I also had this question from Adrova Cedric, who said, looking at the stats with XG and all the stuff, it looks like we are overperforming quite lucky. All the stuff? (laughs) Are you worrying about it? I'm always worried about stuff. You know, all the stuff I'm worried about, all the stuff. I think that XG is an illustrative stat, but not a definitive stat. In that, I think it helps you. It helps you to get more information about a game, to get more uh, of a bigger picture of a game. But I don't think it tells you the story of a game in its entirety. But that applies to any stat. It's the same as possession or chances or corners you know it's informative without being definitive and i do think that there is a uh, there are people who think that xg there are kind of xg fanatics out there who are like well this the score is almost less significant than the xg you know the xg is the real determinant of performance <laughs> i don't feel that way about it um but i do think that it's it can help you to it can help you. It can help you to uh, sort of, I guess, fill in the gaps of the story of a match, but it does not define that story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you. All of this stuff. All of all of this this stuff that I worry about so much. No, I. 
it's it's just added information, isn't it? So James went to the shops is the same as Arsenal won Liverpool nil, right? Right. Right. But when you start adding stats into the into the equation here, you find out that when James went to the shops, he got stopped by uh, a granny who he helped across the road. His expected yeah. crossing of the road uh, is part of his journey to the shops. Right? Right, yeah. See what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And stats are kind of like that too. You get the result, but how many times did we help a granny cross the road in the 90 minutes versus Liverpool? That's the added colour, which informs your understanding of the 1-0. Does that make sense? Kind of. Yeah, it kind of does. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's mainly grannies helping me across the road with my luck, you know, I sort of think mm. I'm the one who needs assistance in that situation. But basically, I think that what XG does do is it sort of... Like, for example, this season, we've been really efficient with our finishing. Like... We have overperformed our XG, I believe, in terms of goal mm. scoring. A lot of players have. Maybe it's come back like, to the mean now a little bit because of the yeah, last few games. Sure, but at a certain point we were. But um, that uh, there is something to be said for that, though. I don't think you can just write off efficient finishing as a statistical aberration. You know, I think mm. that you have to also look at that as like a positive rather than an outlier. Um do you know what I mean there? Like, yeah, it, it doesn't. And also there are sort of flaws within XG. You know, sometimes you hear people break down a game in terms of XG and they'll be like, oh, well, that chance. You look at chance, you'll be like, well, that was a really good chance. And they'll be like, yeah, but in XG terms, it actually wasn't that good a chance because, you know, the XG doesn't factor in the position of the goalkeeper or something like that, mm. where it's clearly still an imperfect, an imperfect system. But I, I do think it's... Helpful. I mean, did you watch... Um, in fact, we had a question. Ricardo Coral T says, did you get to watch Arsene's interview on being sports? And if so, anything that caught your attention? Have you no, seen that? No, not yet. I, well, I, I was... I loaded it and then I remembered that it was Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. And that put me off it. Yeah, that element of it is uncomfortable, I'll be honest. Especially because he seems to be quite pally with them. And, uh, you know, no one wants that. Nobody no. wants that. But there is an interesting part in it where he says the job of the modern manager, he said, you come in at half time and you're overloaded with data. You know, you get so much more data now than you did even 10 years ago. And he said a big part of the Mm. job is um, choosing the three numbers that you will implement into your halftime team talk that you think can make a positive impact upon the team. Sifting through all the data and going, well, these are the things that are pertinent. And I guess sometimes that will be something like XG so, and sometimes it won't. So, okay, so halftime whistle goes mm. and the manager makes his way down the tunnel. Is there a stats guy giving him a brief on the game? That's Is, certainly what he implies, yeah. Right, that's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, look, again, I, I just think stats are a way of understanding more about what's going on. Mm. With that, you know... The people who live at the extremes where um, stats are the be-all and end-all or the people who don't think stats are in any way important. You know, 1-0, that's the only stat you need. 
Um, sure. You know, th- that kind of thing isn't particularly helpful, but if it helps you understand things a little better, you know, I, I think the data that they have is much more sophisticated than we have, certainly. You know, how many how many runs a player makes, sprints a player makes, where is he making those runs? Um, it's, yeah, definitely. Um, but on XG, it's interesting. I think it's interesting, but uh, like you say, it doesn't always tell the full story of of a game. I think basically it's a better stat than attempts on goal, isn't it? Because anyone yeah. can have an attempt on goal from, you know, Andros Townsend can have as many attempts on goal as he likes from 30 yards, but they're not. You know, they, yeah. they rarely actually have an impact in terms of how they influence games. So I think it does illustrate to you how how effective you are being going forward, the types of chance you are creating. I think that's definitely a positive and useful thing. However, I don't, I don't, I'm not at a point where I come out of games and I look at the full time score and I go, yeah, but what was the XG? You know, I, I, I still am led by the score because. It's it's the emotive thing, isn't it? I mean, that's the sort of thing that we actually get excited about. Sure. Um, but I don't think it's gone too far. In fact, I think it's going to go a hell of a lot further. And I think that, you know, stats and numbers are here to stay, aren't they? There's not going to be any... Uh, it's not going to be a let-up in terms of that. In fact, I think they're going to become more and more sophisticated. Well, it would be a bit of a problem if, if they did away it, with numbers. It, because we need well, them on, the, on a daily how, basis. And on the back of the players' shirts as well. It'd be very difficult... To tell them apart. It would, unless they all got like a little icon, like emojis. That's probably the future. i tell you one, another thing Arsene said in his interview, and you've probably seen these quotes flying around, but he's really banging the drum for, um, well, not banging the drum for it, he's sounding the warning, let's say, for uh, before long, sub, half-time substitutions will be made by fans on social media. I mean, oh. do you think that is plausible? There's a lot of stuff that's happened in this world recently that I thought was completely and utterly implausible. So I'm loath to to rule anything out. You know, ideas that uh, seemed ludicrous came to pass and exist, even if they still feel ludicrous. So would I rule it out? I mean, I think it would be fucking stupid. I think it would be a really terrible, terrible thing. But is it impossible? I don't know. I mean, you know, if they get it sponsored by somebody, halftime substitution sponsored by Domino's Pizza. Use your Domino's app to vote for which player you want to take off and which one you get a voucher for fucking 20% off a of pizza. That's that's not impossible. I mean, now I'm interested. But <laughs> I would only if it was, was good good pizza. Go on. Part of was it Ebb's Fleet United who was subject to a takeover where the uh, basically everyone bought a share and you you did sort of run the club as a kind of cooperative, like a collective, where right. there were kind of votes on stuff like new managers and things like that. I'm not sure if it was Ebsfleet or not, but uh, My Football Club, there you go. My, November 2007, the website My Football Club entered a deal in principle to take over Ebsfleet United. So it was a 700,000 takeover fund and... Members had a vote on transfers as well as player selection and all major decisions. I mean, it was an absolute unmitigated disaster. <laughs> there, there's some very good pieces. If you, if you Google My Football Club Ebbsfleet, there are some great pieces sort of documenting the downfall right. of, uh, of, of 
that. I think in the space of five years, uh, the club ended up very close to going out of business by 2012, and they eventually wow. bailed out by uh, Kuwaiti Group, I think. But yeah, I mean, uh, it it was quite extraordinary how like the 32,000 people signed up, and it was 9,000 within two years you know people right. just have no long-term interest in it i mean I, I, anyway i think it's a sort of salutary warning to uh football clubs about these kinds yeah. of things i mean imagine opening up decision making about the arsenal first I'm team looking. to arsenal twitter <laughs> it'd be absurd look i don't really think it's going to happen because you you who who would be a who would be a football manager who would dedicate that kind of uh time to a job if a bunch of fucking wankers on social media could you know push buttons and basically make your job redundant or make your job more difficult because like anything it could be exploited couldn't it you know when you think of about course. it it could absolutely- the russians would be making the decisions you mean <laughs> yeah. russian <laughs> troll farms would be like all of a sudden who are we going to take off Aubameyang, but he scored yeah. four goals in that house. and who <laughs> who are we putting on uh, holy shit! We, you know, we, I don't know who who we could put on. That's if you bring terrible. a pet of check up front, exactly that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's it's not going to happen. But I don't know what to say about this other than like it can't possibly happen. But if it did, I wouldn't also be that surprised. Sometime in the distant future, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Right. Well, I mean, I think I'd like to think that any manager would be too principled to you know, take a job under those circumstances. But uh, who knows? If they're being paid enough, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Um, is, it, question. is it my question? Okay, I've got one here. Um, boom, boom, I did have one. Okay, this is quite an interesting one. It comes from Niranjan Kulkarni, who's at Nisius 0004 on Twitter. And he says, individual player rating out of 10 for the season so far. So I'm guessing that's for each player. We give him a rating out of 10. So we could do this one pretty quickly, I think. If we go okay. through... Let me go through the squad here and we'll see We'll see where we end up with this. So let me just get up the uh, the team here. We'll just go through the first team. Petr Cech, what would you give him out of 10? I'd give him um, a 7, maybe. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's reasonable based on what what he did uh burned leno uh i think i'd give him a seven as well oh would you yeah i'd give him i think i'd give him an eight i was thinking eight but then i thought uh, he has made a couple of errors but they just haven't been punished maybe as severely as as jack um um, yeah. No, I'll go with you. Okay, eight. Yeah, I well, can see it. Okay, okay. You don't have to agree. You know, it's fine. You can stick with your seven. You can be, you can be harsher if you like. I don't. I mean, mind. I don't want to get into half numbers because I. Oh, we've got to do halves. Got to do. You've got to do halves. I think you can't do player ratings without halves. Because sometimes, policy, it, isn't it? I think, because we did them for ESPN. Yeah, no for halves, a long it? time, and they had a no halves policy, which I think is wrong, because. Player ratings, let's remember, are completely subjective opinions for entertainment purposes, really. Yeah. So you've got to be able to give somebody a half if you want. Fine. 
If I could do halves, I'll yeah. give them half. Seven and a half. Seven yeah, and yeah. a half. I'm sticking with an eight. I'm sticking with okay. an eight. Uh, Hector Bellerin. Do you know what's tricky about this is that in my mind, I've now I've given a sevens better check. That's now seven. Do you see what I mean? So everything's sort of relative to that. So I've got no idea sort of how, where I'm going to go with this. I think Hector Bellerin, I'm going to give, I'm actually going to give Hector Bellerin an eight. Right. Okay. I'm going to give him a seven and a half. I think he's been good. Yeah. Socrates? Really difficult one, that. Um, I'm going to go six. I'm going to go six and a half. Okay. Six and a half. Six is kind of my baseline. That's where I start from, you know, when I give That's ratings. Like out on par. Yeah, exactly, on par. I don't think we've seen enough. Stefan Licksteiner. Oh, I think quite bad from me. I'm going to say, I think he's been... I think maybe ooh, five, five. Yeah, I'd go with a five for Lick I was tempted by four and a half, I'll be honest, but right. I, I went for five. Okay, Rob Holding, I'm going to give a, a seven to Rob Holding. Same, seven for me. Yeah, pretty decent. Nacho Monreal, I think six. Really? I think yeah. that's a bit low. Do you? I just think he's been injured. Maybe he's a bit out of sight, out of mind for me. I think he's our best left back. I think he's back. played. Yeah. yeah. Um, but maybe you have to take all of that into into the equation. I, I'd say for me, when he's played, he's been a seven. I'd okay, say. I'll go six and a half, maybe. Um, Mustafi. Uh, what did I give Lichtsteiner? A five. Five. I think f- five, probably, for me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's had some good games. He's had some good games, that's the problem, but yeah. it's sort of not convincing enough and too many errors in there, so I yeah. think for me it is a five. Carl uh, Jenkinson, I don't think we can rate because he hasn't really played no. uh, enough. Kalasinac, is he sort of in the same situation in that he hasn't played enough and he's only just come back from injury? Still going to give him a five, though. Oh, he'd be a five, yeah. I mean, he's not really made a positive, mm. positive contribution. El Nenny. I mean, the, he is the most six player in the world, isn't he? I mean, yeah. he's Mr. Six. Uh, I, but it's difficult because he's only played in the cup games um, and he's not been bad. He's not been great, get, though. No, maybe maybe he is a six. I mean, in terms of his contribution, he's, he's less than that. But when he's actually been on the pitch, he's been perfectly acceptable. So I would say six, I think. OK, uh, I'll go with a six as well for Al Nani, just because... He hasn't done anything particularly brilliantly, but nothing particularly wrong. Uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan. I I think I'll go a six and a half for Mkhitaryan because he has these moments which are are excellent, but I I just feel there's so much of what happens passes him by, um, which is frustrating for me. Uh, You know, for a player of 29, you just expect a little bit more. So a six and a half. Six and a half, I actually am going to agree with you on that one. Yeah, I think that's about right. Aaron Ramsey. That's a difficult one to assess, isn't it? Mm. Because he's not been starting regularly. He hasn't really got a defined position in the team, but he has made a couple of positive contributions. Um, Most assists in the Premier League for Arsenal this season alongside Hector Bellerin with four. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that does speak to how good Bellerin's been partly. Four assists. Yeah. You have to wonder, don't you? And, about... and goal of the month. Probably goal of the season. Yeah. But then I wouldn't look at it and say he's played particularly well in many no. games. 
I think for him, I think I'm going to have to say... I want to give him a really low mark because I have really high expectations of him um, and I feel like he's underperformed against those. But I, I don't know if that's unfair. Yeah, I was going to give him a five and a half because he's been below par but has yeah. still contributed. And the circumstances, there's a weirdness about his entire situation, isn't there? I think five and a half is probably right. What about Mesut Ozil? This is a difficult one. Well, let's, if we do it on one game, he, he can it's have a 10. ten. <laughs> I think based on his talent, his ability, his creativity, I think he gets a five from me. Yeah. Because, think- because he, he was brilliant against Leicester. It was Leicester, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And he was absolutely fantastic. But he just hasn't imposed himself on games. Someone said to me a while ago that Ozil is a kind of player that needs other great players around him to be really at his best or for the team to be playing really, really well, which I don't think is, is unfair. But I just think based on the responsibility he's got, the, the the captain's armband. You have to take into account his wage packet. What did you make of the stories by uh, Ozil's agent to say that he had turned down a million pounds a week from China because Arsenal was the only place he wanted to be? Do you believe that? Um, Not really. Mm. Not really. I think that the money in China is... Uh, they've come down on it a bit, haven't they? I think the government has sort of slightly tightened up on regulations there to stop there being this exorbitant gap between the the Western players who come over um, and, the, and the rest of the Chinese league. I, I would be surprised by that. And also, I don't think it's a helpful thing to say because what you're doing is you're... Although you are appearing to try and make the decision about more than money, you are just talking about money. And I don't. I feel like that's a bit of a sensitive subject around Mesut Ozil at the moment. You know, I think he is in a position where his every performance is kind of compared to his pay packet. Yeah. And I think drawing attention to that is probably an unwise move. Um, but he's quite spiky, uh, Ozil's agent, and he when he senses his client is under pressure, he, yeah, he does tend to I, come out. With yeah, stuff. I do wonder if it was a way to make it look as if accepting the mere £350,000 a week from Arsenal was, in some ways, uh, Ozil, like he should be commended for this. You know, look at what well, he turned I, down and, and... I don't think any other player of that calibre would contemplate a move to China. That's the thing. But so what, sort of, I, I don't think anyone would turn down a million pounds a week if the next best offer was £350,000 a week. I'm sorry. I just right. don't believe that to be the case, particularly when you're a player... Uh, he's won the World Cup he's won the World Cup you're 30 years of age and someone offers you a million pounds a week and a three year contract nah anyway I think a five for me for Ozil but a ten for that Leicester performance yeah but but I don't think we'd yeah I don't think we'd necessarily discuss any other player in those terms I think five as well I think five as well Lucas Um, Torreira Torreira 
what have we done to my highest so far has been eight for Hector Bellerin I'm probably going to go one better say eight and a half for Torreira okay excellent yeah he has I, I would give him an eight I would mm-hmm. give him an eight I, I feel like perhaps there is a bit of new player bias going on is, there of course but hey these are just ratings for entertainment purposes um, Ganduzi Maitland Niles we can't really do can no. we? I think it'd be a bit harsh Ganduzi uh, I would say I think I would say a seven and a half from me uh, okay I'd go a seven seven okay Granite Xhaka uh, Granite Xhaka I think I'm going to say seven and a half as well I think uh, yeah 6.84 for me. For you? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's that's our biggest discrepancy, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe I think he, maybe he could get a seven. Maybe. If I'm feeling generous. I didn't know we were doing 0.84s, you know. I, I need to go back. There's a few 0.84s <laughs> I want to put in. You can use uh, any decimal between 1 and 100, if you like. I don't know. We'll stick with halves. We'll stick with halves, so I'll round, six I'll round Jack it up to a seven. On that basis. Right. Um, uh, Lacazette. Lacazette. I think he's done pretty well, actually, and better than I anticipated. I think I'm going to give him a seven and a half. Mm, okay. Uh, I think a, a seven for me. He scored some fantastic goals and he's become the focal point of the attack, but the attack hasn't always worked, particularly in the last few weeks. So, I think a seven. I hear you. I just rarely feel like he is the reason the attack hasn't worked. I think it's what's done with the three behind him. I tend to agree with that as well. Um, But... But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aubameyang. Seven. Lots of goals. Lots of goals. Lots of goals, but performances and contributions generally. I mean, what do you want from him? He scores goals. That's it. That's what he does. But, and, uh, you know, a seven with the caveat that I don't think it's necessarily his fault that it's not higher because of what's going on with, um, you know, him playing out on the left all the time. So, yeah. Uh, I would agree with you. Seven for, for, for Aubameyang. Alex Iwobi? Um, I'm going six and a half for Iwobi. Yeah, it's one way, like, in my mind, I was sort of... I think people might expect it to be higher, but actually I think it's more about how much he's improved relative to last season than he's suddenly Ronaldinho. Do you know mm. what I mean? Uh, so I, I would give him a seven, I think, um, but that is a big step forward for him. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, and Danny Welbeck, finally. Well, finally, I mean, you know, sad because we might not see him again this, for some time, but I think he probably deserves... I think he probably deserves a seven from me, actually, in terms of what he's done in the games that he's played. Yeah. So I'd, I'd say seven for Welbeck. Five goals or whatever it was before he picked up the injury, so I think he has contributed. Um, and I suppose the thing to, to point out about uh, ratings is that the ratings aren't necessarily in comparison with other players. It's no. what you It's what you expect from that player themselves, where they're performing in relation to their own ability and the job that they're being asked to do. So Aubameyang getting a seven despite scoring more goals um, doesn't negate the Welbeck seven, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what's interesting, I suppose, going through that is there aren't too many players who've had 
shockers, are there? You know, there aren't too many, you're saying, four or five. Um, there are only a few below six. So yeah. I think that does speak to the fact that Unai Emery is, is getting more out of this squad. He's sure. getting some, something decent out of it. We're doing all right. Not spectacularly, okay. but all right. Yeah, we're doing okay. Okay. Your question? Um, my question. Let's have a little look, see what we've got. XG, done that. Being Sports, done that. Uh, Ratwan Postwala says, I reckon Koscielny will be back after the interlow, and that makes me really happy. Assuming he's able to stay fit and be first choice, how would you rank our remaining centre-backs in order their suitability to be his centre-back partner? And then he says, I'd go Socrates, Holding, Mavropanos, and lastly, Mustafi. <laughs> I lo- you know, I've got issues with, um, I've got issues with Mustafi. I think people who listen regularly will know that. But I, I love the idea of a 19-year-old a who's been injured all season. Is ahead of him in the Is ahead of him in, in the pecking order. Um, you know. I, I'd like, again, like Gendouzi, I'd like Mavropanos to come through and be be outstanding, but we just haven't seen enough of him. You know, the last time we saw him, he got sent off at the end of last season, and that's basically the last time we've seen him. Didn't really feature in preseason, so, you know, I think we need to step back a little bit on, on Mavropanos. Um, where do I rate them? I don't know. I don't think Koscielny is necessarily going to come back as a first choice. Maybe he will. Maybe he will, but he is 32, 33 now off the back of a big injury. So it's really, it's really hard to say um, what way it's, what way it's going to work. Um, I think just having four centre halves will be useful, though. You know, we've got three and we're playing three times a week, you know, with league games and Europa League games. And there's no way of properly resting uh, everyone because you're having to play at least one of those centre halves. Uh, in every game. Um, so it might make Emery's job a little bit easier when it comes to the Europa League. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to rate them. I, I'd like to see Socrates and Holding get a, a little run of games, not because I'm especially confident in it, but just because we haven't seen it. Um, so... I think that's absolutely fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I think that we've been wondering sort of why... Socrates hasn't been in the team as much and I, I do think it's because Emery seems to have mm. decided that he and Mustafi are not a particularly compatible balanced partnership mm. um, however that if that means Rob Holding's going to play then I would I, I would prefer to see Socrates in there to Mustafi um, but I don't think we'll see Mustafi and Socrates together very much moving forward it almost feels like that mm. decision has been taken now doesn't it yeah it does a bit it does a bit. Um, shall we do a few quick fire ones to, to finish yes. off because we've been uh, we've been going through here. Kwame Odum, who's at Kwame Odum, says, "What are uh, Emmy Martinez's chances of making it at Arsenal?" Very slim, slim to none at this point. Yeah, I'd say I would, especially agree. given the relative ages of Martinez and Leno. Yeah, yeah, they're the same age, more or less. Wow, pretty I, much. Yeah, I think. Let me just uh, let me. So Leno's 26, I believe. Yeah, and Emmy Martinez is also 26. Wow. So, uh, you know, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? Yeah, he was uh, 26 in September and Bernd Leno was 26 in March. Uh, Bernd Leno has played 350, 300, nearly 400 first-team games. Emmy Martinez has not played 50 yet. So that tells you, I think, a a story. Mm. Um, Go on. Uh, Have you got one? 
Yeah, and Nathan Rich says, would it be unthinkable to try Lacazette on the left-hand side with Aubameyang through the middle? Wouldn't be unthinkable, but I presume there's a good reason why we haven't done it yet. Mm. Uh, his thoughts, Nathan's thoughts are that Lacazette's more comfortable with the ball at his feet uh, and he and he played mm. OK in that position last season at one point. I think it was the Leicester game, wasn't it? He was thrown there and Giroud went through the middle. But Yeah. I don't think it's, again, I don't think it's an ideal solution to what is uh, a problem that we have in, in terms of how we pick our team. Yeah. You know, again, it's playing somebody else out of position. Mm. So I don't know. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, uh, Lyle, Lyle Buckenjohn, who's at Invisigooner, says, which position positions would be a priority in this upcoming transfer window? And are we looking for starters or squad players? So do you think we'll sign anyone in January? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, me neither. Um, if I was in the market, I'd be looking at uh, left-backs. Uh, I'd be looking at... You'd be looking at Ben Chilwell, James. Let's, let's just lay it on the... Chilwell. You are obsessed with this young man. But I, I am dangerously obsessed with Ben Chilwell, who was very good again for England. But I, I genuinely think he is out of our reach. I think I do think that we have to be the club that signs Ben Chilwell two years ago. We were not gonna we well, he was on our radar. I think we there were reports that he before he signed a, a new deal with Leicester, we were gonna bring him in. And yeah, something and I, happened. Well Kalasanich I guess. Kalasanich maybe. Or maybe it was this you know, yeah, we thought we were switching to a back three, something like that. I don't know. But I do think that we're not necessarily a club who can go by someone who's now uh, an England first team player essentially um, on a five year contract. I don't, you know, I think we need to find crazily the next Ben Chilwell. Mm. Uh, Good luck with that. Yeah. And so left back would be on my list, and I suppose wide forward would be on my list. Although okay. we've talked about Reese Nelson a lot uh, as well. Okay. Uh, have you got one? I've got a have couple. Have you got? I've got a on your list. Yeah, I've got a. Uh, what would be on my list? Yeah, I'd like a left back. I think we have to really address the left back position. Um, where else? I mean, I'm still would take. I know we've got loads of them, but if a world top class centre half became available, uh, you know, of course that would still be on my wish list as well. Yes, me too. Me too. Uh, but don't worry, we've got Mavropanos. Um, Nazar Timol, who's at Radiohead Tim, says, what do you guys make of the reports linking us with a loan move for Ousmane Dembele? You see Guillaume Balaguer is saying that via an intermediary, Arsenal have asked Barcelona about a loan move for the, for the, uh, for the man who's having a very difficult time in, in Catalonia, he's turning up late for training, turning up late for games, getting fined. Doesn't seem to be having a happy time at Barcelona. No, I mean, it's a little bit like the sort of stuff we were hearing about Aubameyang prior to his January move to Arsenal. I would be surprised, though, just because he was such a massive investment, I would be surprised if Barcelona sanctioned a loan deal for him. It would be... Uh, it would be... I mean, they'd be not cutting their losses, but he was. He cost, I think, £100 million, essentially. Yeah. Um, you don't tend to loan out £100 million players, do you? No. Apparently, uh, there's some stories going around that they fear that he's got a sort of gaming addiction. Uh, Hang on, what? Gaming or gambling? Gaming. Gaming. Computer games. So he's what, like playing Fortnite all the time or or what? 
What's he playing? Uh, apparently, that's one of the reasons he missed training because he was up all night. According to AS, who we know only print the truth, yeah. he missed training because he was up playing, yeah, let's say it was Fortnite or FIFA or whatever it was. All right. Night. Wow. Um, I'd, look, he's obviously a top player. This story's been rumbling around for about a year now, hasn't it? Uh, that he's not settled at Barcelona and that we might be in the market for him. I mean, he has played for Dortmund, so there is a possibility that Sven Mistentatwood <laughs> could contemplate signing him. How's Malcolm getting on at Barcelona? Because he was, a year ago, being talked up as an Arsenal player, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't know, actually. I feel like he's not getting on particularly great either, and they're both kind of left-footed right-wingers who I feel like aren't really having any sort of positive impact there. Well, he has made, uh, according to uh, transfermarkt.com, he has made uh, just three appearances in La Liga with no goals, one appearance in the Champions League in which he scored a goal and one appearance in the Copa del Rey. So this is a Barcelona team in a kind of transition still, isn't it? Mm. Or it's going through a a sort of transition... um, after Iniesta's gone and, and what have you. So it's not working out particularly well for, for him. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, if you're asking me if I'd like Usman Dembele, the answer's definitely yes. Okay. But I, I'm not taking it too seriously as a story right now. Um, Troy Reed, who's at Troy Reed 32 asks, once opened, does tomato sauce or ketchup belong in the cupboard or fridge? We did this. We did this okay. years ago. I can't right. remember what we said, but I think it, it stays in the cupboard. I don't right. put it in the fridge. I agree. That's okay. fine. That's good. Who wants cold ketchup on the chips? Okay. Nobody, right. James Carter, James Carter 100. What's your favourite, if any, football-watching snack? Oh. Um, well, at the Emirates, nothing, because the food is so crazily overpriced. If I was at home... I football... I don't, I don't, really do, eat, I don't yeah. eat during the football. No, me neither. It's too I, distracting. You have to look down and all that. Like I have food at like meal times. You know, I have breakfast yeah. and then there might be a game or you have lunch and there might be a game. You have dinner. I don't necessarily sit down and eat um, while football is on at all. No. So there you go. I'm more like to have a drink during D- football. Yeah, exactly. Than an eat. Definitely not stadium food though as well. I don't understand people who, who complain about stadium food as well. You know, God, the fucking burger's overpriced and it's terrible. What do you expect? You it's being made. It. It's a football stadium. I know. What are you expecting? I have eaten at the stadium food before, but only in times of desperation. No, know, I mean, I can understand somebody, like, you know, if they get to the ground and they've been racing to the ground straight from work and they haven't had a chance to, to have something to eat and you're starving. But, you know, don't go in looking for Michelin-starred food or value for money. Same with any stadium, isn't it? Exactly. And, you know, I mean, Arsenal, the, the, the calibre of the stadium food has improved fractionally, but the price has uh, risen dramatically. So, uh, no, not for me. OK, OK. Um, do I have any more? Um, oh, Terry or Blog wants to know, should Man City be condemned for their financing and the questionable regime that backs them? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they've got a great PR team, though, so it doesn't happen. So, um, yeah. But yes, uh, they really should. Um, and final one, uh, Frederick Anderson, who's F. Anderson 90. Would you rather spend the rest of your life in need of a Wii or the rest of your life with an itch on your arm? 
itch on the arm. Yeah, me itch too. Itch on the arm. You could always cut your arm off, couldn't you? Problem solved. Exactly. Yeah. And get a robot hand. Do, 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 do. Robot hand, which could then uh, you, uh, rig the results of the halftime Twitter poll to see which player is going to be substituted because it'll be all a technology arm. Be great. If you needed a Wii, but you cut your Mickey off. Would you stop needing a Wii? No, because that's not what makes you need a Wii. It's your bladder being full. So you'd have to right. rip out you'd your have own to bladder. Your bladder. You'd have yeah, to rip out yeah. your own bladder. That would not be good because then all the Wii would just go... It would just go... Gush out. No, it would just go down into your legs. It would just, like, because there's no bladder to hold it in, it would just go down your legs and you'd have enormous piss-filled thighs as you walked oh, along dear. the street. You'd just be sloshing around... Horrible. Although like I suppose, yeah, suppose you could like you, you lop off your toe as a kind of a tap. You could just open up your toe and it would all just flow out on the street. Yeah, that's how it yeah, works. I, I think that is how bodies work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I'll still go with the itchy arm. That's fine. My arm itches all the time. You know, you wearing, can scratch it. You can scratch it with the other one. Perfect. All right. Well, look. Um, I, I hope uh, that uh, you enjoyed this podcast to an extent as much as possible during this international break. It's been quiet, but we did our best. We did our yeah. best for you, for you guys. I enjoyed doing it. All right, well then, if you're so happy... Then it doesn't matter, really, does it? Well, of course <laughs> so it matters. we're having no time. <laughs> um, thank you as ever for listening. Football is back this weekend. We go to Bournemouth on Sunday, so we'll look forward to that on the Arsecast Extra. As well, look out for a new series of podcasts coming to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. I will give you some details on that this week in a post. James and I will be looking for your, uh, for your input into uh, these podcasts as well. So if you're a Patreon member, keep an eye out for that. If you're not, you can sign up for a fiver a month at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. And we'll catch you on the next one. Until then, bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.